This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. We are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTKA.com for the third year in a row. The MGO Blog Roundtable after a Michigan victory over Ohio State. This time, though, fellas, devoid of any excuses. There no. is nothing to say other than Michigan was just better. And that reality seems to be setting in for the Buckeyes. Fellas, my esteemed colleagues from MGO Blog are here to celebrate, to go back and, and break down, to evaluate, and then also to look ahead and see and talk about the Big Ten Championship game and beyond. Starting off first with the man who started it all at MGO Blog, Brian Cook. Brian, good morning. How are you? I am very well today. <laughs> see? <laughs> very well. I think that that's what happens after you beat Ohio State, right? We get a yeah. very well from Brian Cook. Seth Fisher, how are you this morning? Sam, I, I love my wife. I love my children. I love my school. And like Rich Eisen said, every moment that goes by, this feels even better. <laughs> and Craig Ross, how are you, my friend? I'm, I'm doing well. If I could, there, uh, just a minute. Um, for, for a consumer of Michigan sports, this week was really sweet. Uh, and uh, first, we had Sam on this incredible rant about Ohio State losing to a substitute teacher. I mean, and it was very amusing, Sam. Congratulations. Sam, Sam was like, okay, <laughs> Sam on this show yeah. is always like, okay, you guys got to reel it in. Yeah. <laughs> always like play, he's always moderating us. He's always like, please don't say those things in public. And then <laughs> one win over Ohio State, and he goes off the chain. He was off the chain, but I have to say it was very amusing. And uh, and so if you haven't heard it, go go check it out. And then Brian, who's written many, many brilliant columns, but this week was right there in, in genius and in brilliance. Congratulations. And then Sam, excuse me, Seth, who put together a 35-hour podcast. That thing is so long, <laughs> it'll probably take me all winter to get through it. And uh, but it's brilliant. And at one point, I'll early. I haven't heard it finished it yet. But at one point, uh, Brian is arguing the sort of a Hobbesian view that people are essentially bad. David Nasternak is going off on how people are essentially good. And I'll give Seth credit. He came in with the Marxist view. He said, <laughs> you know. People tend to reflect. Never ever accused me of coming in with the Marxist view before. Oh, it was. <laughs> people, I mean, he, that's he going to help me with the right wing. <laughs> yeah, people essentially said, or, or, or Seth said that people will tend to reflect the sort of culture and society that they're in, which is exactly what Karl Marx wrote many, many years ago. And, uh, I, you know, it's a brilliant little shtick or piece between the three of you guys. Really enjoyed it. All I can say is to a fish, water doesn't exist. Back to you, Sam. So, Brian, let's start with you, man. Uh, this game wasn't short on adversity for Michigan, right? Uh, it stands to reason that Ohio State, even on the road, uh, would, would feel like it could come in and beat this team. And yet, all they did was get closer, your take on Michigan's victory. Well, it, it was a much tighter game than the last couple of years, I think because Ohio State's defense actually was sane for the first time in three years. <laughs> yeah. So two years ago, it was that Kerry Coombs botched job that they tried to patch up midseason. 
that had very simple answers that Michigan was able to exploit. And two years ago, Knowles was just out of his mind with aggression. And in this game, they pitched it much better. I don't think Michigan had a play longer than 22 yards, I want to say. Um, and so the sort of distancing that we saw in the second half of the last two years didn't happen. Um, also, you got, you got to acknowledge that for the Ohio State Buckeyes, this is also pretty close to a peak roster year because it looks like they're going to lose their top four receivers. They're going to lose most of their defensive line. They're going to lose both linebackers. They're going to lose Denzel Burke. So this was an extremely talented Ohio State team coming off. This was like the third year of a class that for them was legendary with something like five of the top 12 players in the country. They go over against Michigan. So no gold pants for you guys, but from Michigan's perspective, you know, defensively after the game, Harrison said that Michigan was throwing coverages at him that he had never seen before. We, that was what the payoff was for Michigan's constant spot drop zone coverage for the rest of the year is that they constantly presented uh, Kyle McCord with things he hadn't seen before. He was confused. He threw an interception. He should have thrown a second one. And then he gets hit at the end of the game. And, you know, when Michigan's pass rush really needed to come through, it did. On that final drive, McCord was under pressure on three of the four plays. And the fourth play was just because Michigan wasn't ready for the snap. So the ability to tee off um, was limited because Ohio State was mi mixing in the run quite a bit. They had that drive where they ran the final eight plays and scored a touchdown. But once Michigan knew it was going to be a pass, their offensive line didn't really stand a chance. Seth? Yeah, man. I, I went through the, you know, I put the defensive UFR up, and one thing that just kept on coming home to me as I was going through this is what high level of football this game was being played at. Like, if you go watch an NFL game, you're going to see about the same quality of play that you saw here. Both teams brought it. You know, Kyle McCord was uh, stepping up through pressure and, and, and actually completing those passes, where, which he had not done most of the year. Ohio State had some um, brilliant little tweaks that uh, messed with things that Michigan had been doing all year. And then Michigan, we finally got the payoff, right? Like all year we've been playing these light boxes. We've been dropping ends. We've been playing cover three all the time. It's like, okay, where is the payoff? Where is this coming? Where are we going with this? And they had all these switch coverages. And then, I mean, you have to give Ryan Day credit too. He figured it out and found a spot to, to attack those coverages too. So it wasn't like just one team was firing on all cylinders here. These were two fantastic teams playing their best game of football. It might have been the best game of football ever played. And going through the tape and watching them do this, there's like a moment where Ernest Hausman is just in a foot race with Henderson to get to the, um, to get to the sideline. And it's just like, I can't believe that running back is going that fast. The other running backs like chart, do not move that fast. He's going to get the edge. And then Houseman gets out there. And it's like, how do I create this? Because normally it's, you know, you don't give a linebacker that much credit for getting out there on a running back. But that he was getting, that's the level of play this game was at. And I, I'm so fortunate to have been there. I'm just so fortunate that, you know, we, we won it. That, like, now we can just enjoy this so much. Because it was such a great game. Yeah. Craig? yeah, the you know if you think about it from the Michigan point of view, the uh, we had no Harbaugh. I assume that's you know a negative. We have no Chris Partridge and not much time to to sort of uh, adjust to that. I, I don't know if anyone saw Partridge's letter. If it take it at absolute face value with no footnotes, I have no idea why it was fired. Um, uh, you've got. JJ not being able to really run the ball. I mean, we started talking about this early in the season. I think Seth and, and Brian talked about why are we running uh, outside zone, you know, uh, and the answer obviously was they were trying to figure out some way to get to the edge. But meanwhile, uh, JJ couldn't really run in this guy, at least systemically. Got no sign stealing guy. Since that's the greatest history or greatest scandal in the history of college sports, you have to figure out figure that had some somewhat of a negative for Michigan. Uh, we had no discretionary penalties called against Ohio State. 
In fact, there were some non-discretionary penalties that weren't called. People, you know, five guys in the backfield happened about, I don't know, half a dozen times in the game. And, 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 and none of those were called. Forget about the discretionary penalties. The only ones that were called were against Michigan. Uh, Michigan had good crowd noise. Didn't seem to impact Ohio State at all, really. You have to give Ohio State credit. They did a really good job with the crowd, with the crowd noise. And uh, uh, we had our best offensive lineman go out. We had, in the third quarter, our best defensive back go out. Uh, and OSU was a really good team playing a really good game. Uh, and they still lost. And, you know, so, I mean, I'll, I'm, I grew up in Ohio. I have friends who went to Ohio State. I hear, hear them yammering at me all the time. I haven't heard a single peep since, since Saturday from, from, from anyone in Ohio uh, at all, not even a congratulation, not, not a cheaters, not, you know, anything, uh, because it was so obvious that despite all of the, all of these realities, Michigan still won this game. And as you got, as Seth just said, it really was a high, a high quality football. Craig, game. it was never about the cheating. It was never about signs. <laughs> I know that. it was never know. about any of those things. So did I, so Ari Wasserman, who is a who writes for the Athletic, and um, we're pretty sure is a Ohio State message board free kind of uh, side time because that's what he talks like. Um, but he has been one of these people trying to push the sign gate thing this whole time. And then he says on Twitter right after this game, one thing that needs to be said is I haven't heard anyone say Ohio State didn't just lose this game and missed a once in a lifetime opportunity to really knock your hated opponent in a dark spot. Imagine if Ohio State won, how we'd be talking about Michigan and the cheating scandal today. It would have delegitimized everything Michigan accomplished the last three years. Now it's the opposite. Ryan Day may win the Michigan game next year, but that missed opportunity in one of the biggest games in rivalry history can never be salvaged. Day could have hurt Michigan's program more in this one than any other individual game in rivalry history. He didn't. That has to be the toughest pill to swallow for Ohio State fans. Ari, the toughest pill for Ohio State fans is that you had a chance to talk about your hate. And instead, after this game, do you know what we're talking about? We're talking about how the players came together after Zach Zinner got hurt and Quorum scores a touchdown and puts to 6-5 up in the camera. We're talking about how the fans uplifted their team. We're talking about how much we love these players, how much they love Harbaugh. We're talking about love, not hate. And the thing that sports does, man, it brings out all of it. Not just, the, not just our intellectual side, not just our hate side. Not, it brings out all of it. That was the point I was trying to make, Craig, when I was on the podcast there. Very it, Marxist view. Sports <laughs> brings out all of us. It brings out the best of us and the worst of us. And what Michigan built this program on after 2020, when I think Harbaugh looked and said, what am I doing here? What do I got to build my thing on? He got a guy like J.J. McCarthy who's all about love, Right. He got coaches, young coaches, who are known in the community as like, Ron Bellamy, everyone loves that guy. Mike Hart, everyone loves that guy. That's, that was something that was on the vine that people weren't using enough. And you go and read Ohio State columns and like, you know what, Ryan Day doesn't know how to hate enough. Folks, Ryan Day tried to create a great big BS thing to take down Michigan for no reason other than he hates Michigan. And you all went along with it. That man has plenty of hate. There's something else you're lacking, and you might want to go look for it. Go blue. I love, I love Ryan Day. I <laughs> love Ryan Day. I, I mean, he's my guy. Well, I this mean, this, this, go ahead, Brian. The thing about that tweet from Wasserman is he's just admitting everything that, that it was all noise. Because if Ohio State wins this game, well, okay, well, then the past two years are invalidated. Because the past two years were Michigan threw four times in the second half with Hassan Haskins running down your throat <laughs> for a million yards. And Aiden Hutchinson beating CJ Stroud to death with the off the arm of one of his offensive linemen. Like, that was a signs issue for you? <laughs> or the fact that Lathan Ransom had the worst game a safety's ever had in the history of football? That was a signs issue for you? No, it wasn't. And they know that. At least some of them know it, and they knew it all along, Brian. And Ari Watson knows along. it too, yeah. and th yeah, and they knew it all along. And and now after it's like, oh, we really could have changed the narrative. 
because that's the important part. Yeah, it changed the narrative with the yeah. people who don't really pay attention other than the headlines, because we saw that nationally. They're headline watchers swooping in because it's a hot story and Jim Harbaugh's attached. Then you got the knuckle draggers in Ohio, who a lot of them just not bright enough to really see through how flim how flimsy this premise is. And now they are forced to face the reality that you got a coach that just isn't up to this task. No matter what he tried, he's tried to be himself. He's tried to be someone else. Neither was the solution against Michigan. And I'd argue of all the adversity that Michigan faced heading into this game, they don't have the sign stealer guy. They don't have Jim Harbaugh. The single most impactful piece of adversity in this game, the one that kept this game as close as it wound up being, was J.J. McCarthy was banged up in this contest. Because it is my belief, if you got a, a healthy J.J. in this game, a J.J. that you can incorporate in the run game, and we know they couldn't because they put Alex Orgy in to run a quarterback counter, and J.J. could run the, the crap out of that play. Man, if J.J. was healthy, the run game is more potent from start to finish. I it's it's it, they're running the football like they ran it against Penn yeah, State. Yes and no, but uh, Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State. The way that they had their defenses set up, they they were expecting McCarthy to run at least in the first half, and they had some things planned to, to take out McCarthy if he did that. I think well, uh, you have to get some credit to Ohio State. They played well. Just because they had a a, a scrape exchange on doesn't mean that you can't run the quarterback at it if you know it's coming. Yeah, you can just arc JTT and. They weren't able to do that. So what you got is you got JTT going with impunity towards the running back. And mm -hmm. Michigan didn't really learn the lesson of the last couple of years of JTT, where it's like, if you block the guy, he's not that great a player. But if you leave him unblocked for a second, it's over. So Michigan's running power to the other side of the line away from their run strength and they leave JTT unblocked and they want to pick him up with Zinter who's pulling and you know Zinter is the first guy through as the puller and he meets Zinter at the hash and Zinter has a great block but it doesn't matter because he's already eaten up all the gaps and there's nowhere for Donovan Edwards to go similarly on there is a backside um, tackle pull where they want uh, Loveland to come across and cut him off and that's just never going to happen so I felt like not having the ability to at least slow him up mentally meant that he was able to fully use his ridiculous physical ability when you leave him unblocked for even half a second. Um, and I was a little bit disappointed in that because like you watch that Penn state game and you try to split block him with a tight end. And it's like, no, you can't do that. So he, he, he limits the number of things you can do as a run offense and to have a lot of Michigan's responses taken off the table was pretty hurtful. Now we had this complaint all year. And I think you can have it again after this game is that there was nowhere near enough play action in this game. And sometimes the play action that they did run was token. It didn't even need to be play action. So the second attempted deep shot at Roman Wilson is play action. And Tommy Eichenberg crosses the line of scrimmage, but there's two guys in the route and both of those guys are going to the end zone. So that area that has just been vacated by Eichenberg has nobody in it for Michigan. And I was like, there are a couple of play action plays in this game that were effective, but I was just frustrated by the fact that Michigan didn't go to it more often because, you know, you get in those duo situations with, you know, seven guys and a ton of gaps and Ohio state's reaction to that was to fling everybody except one guy at the line of scrimmage that was exploitable. And I thought Michigan just kind of made it hard on themselves, particularly in the first half by continuing a season long trend to go play action every once in a while in the hopes of a big play, instead of doing it a lot in hopes of confusing their linebackers to the point where they can no longer effectively defend anything. But that's my well, frustration from the game. Let, let me ask this question. I mean, Michigan brings Alex Orgy in, and you're the Ohio State defense. <laughs> what play is Michigan running? Are they running play action down the field? Yeah. No, 
They're running a read option. It it's, doesn't it's matter. Bash. It goes through twelve yards. But it's, but it's bash. So oh. it's it's a it's okay. a play where like you because a lot of teams run quarterbacks and for a long right. time in football history quarterback running was was the game. But the idea is you have to defend the backside because he's got to read there. And if you let him out, if you let him hand the ball off to was it Samaj Morgan who's coming across or Donovan yeah. Edwards like whoever it is, yeah. Um, you, you have to defend that as well. So you keep people backside, and then it's just blocking and tackling at that point. And the first time Michigan makes the block and Orgy gets through it, and the second time Ohio State wins the block, I thought, or at least that's what I saw in the film the first time. Well, they weren't bringing up that safety for cover zero. So putting in Orgy doesn't change the equation in terms of numbers. And when you get the quarterback running, if they do have a deep safety, you're even on numbers. So then someone's got to win a block and they just didn't on the, at that point. So, and honestly, like last year, Khalil Mullings threw a pass. So you never know. I guess you never know. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I just remember watching JJ McCarthy. I want to say uh, definitely in the TCU game, you know, you run the counter, that dude could run the counter, sets up his blocks. Well, can uh, it, just the one thing when I look at these two, Alex Orgy's a great runner. JJ McCarthy's a great runner. I just think JJ, is has better vision as a runner. And so when I saw that, I already suspected that, oh, yeah, they're just not going to call a design run for him in this game. But that play in particular, you know, counter OT, man, that dude runs the hell out of that play. And I agree with Craig, though. I put him in the game. I'm thinking I'm getting some kind of run, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but so unless, unless you want to go zero, which they did not want to do this whole game, then the numbers right. are going to be even. Yeah. And then some How about that, Brian? Talk work. about that for a second because they went from one extreme to the other. This was such right. a conservative defensive approach. It was like they were not going to take risks in this game. That was clear. Well, I mean, they went from a team that gave up huge plays all the time to a team that's given up, I think, the fewest 40-yard plays in the country. And for the most part, they don't they got away with it, I would say, for the most part. So Michigan scores a touchdown on a seven-yard drive after the interception, and they score 17 points the rest of the way. Like, I mean, not 17, I'm sorry, 23 points the rest of the way. And you get a halfback pass for a big chunk. And, you know, I kind of felt like that approach was a reasonable approach. And, you know, the the 22-yard run that Corum breaks, like, that's not, that's just Mike Blake Corum being a brilliant runner. Like he sells that entire defense on the fact that he's going behind the ISO block and then he's out the other side. And their approach wasn't Iowa with two deep safeties. It wasn't Michigan with two deep safeties. They consistently had a guy in the middle of the field and they were playing pretty soft on the corners for a big chunk of the game too. So those two double moves that Wilson had, he didn't get over the top of either of those. And to me, that says... Maybe we should be exploring throwing in the flats a lot more because that seems like a pretty easy thing. And then on Michigan's eight-minute drive, seven-minute drive at the end of the game, what, is they, what do they start off with? They start off with a, a pass in the flat to Cornelius Johnson for six yards. And then you can kind of get the train rolling, right? So I, I thought Ohio State's approach in this game was reasonable. And I thought Michigan and particularly J.J. McCarthy just beat it. Like, that's what you need. Because McCarthy was getting pressure, but he he was able to escape the pocket. Occasionally, he was able to get off a throw. The touch hunter, Roman Wilson, he said, was based on film study at 25, who was on on the field for one snap in this game, but had about 90 in the previous three weeks. And what he said is that once the guy looks looks up the receiver, he's going to turn his back to you. And he hadn't turned his back before JJ decides to throw that ball. That's right. Like all the Ohio state fans on Twitter are like, Oh, he's just, he's just lying about that. And I'm like, I don't think he is. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like, cause we've seen him make reads like that all year. Mm-hmm. Like, and let, it, let me give, let me give the Ohio state fans a little bit far be it for me to give them a little slack. Right. But Dan Mullen broke this down on college football final edition. And he was like, well, the robber made a mistake on his play. And he's, and if he just keeps looking at the quarterback, he's in position to make the, to make the interception. And well, what is he robbing, Dan? If he's not going to look up what's coming in his area. Now, that's great film study for J.J. to know that once he, once he looks up the, the receiver that he's going to turn. Because he did. He did wait for the look. And that was the point that 
you know, I I was on was like he didn't just throw indiscriminately. First, he creates the window with the with the front out. Then he he sees the robber look up Roman. Then he throws the football. Now, the part that you you can't know just by looking at it, he has to tell you is that he knew the dude was going to turn. That's some some next level stuff right there. Yeah, and we've seen throws like that all year. Mostly, like, there was the two against Michigan State over Cal Halliday's head, and then the one at Angelo Gross, and you're just baffled that this guy is making these throws. And then for him to do it on third and ten to create four points out of nothing in the biggest game in the history of Michigan-Ohio State, that's pretty special. Yeah, Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I I had to ask Borg, just say, what do you call this little move? Because, you know, the irony is – you got the the heat off the edge from JTT, and that actually contributed to the play. I was like, "Do you call that something now?" And yet, that little shuffle he said is called a front out. Sam, it's called a front out. Well, hell, that front out was part of the play because <laughs> that front out opened that window because that dude did not move. When JJ tries to look him off, he doesn't move, and the front no. out makes him move. That's some great. That's some next level stuff for sure, for sure, for sure. So I got to thank old Al Borges. He taught me a little lingo there. I appreciate it. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, what about the defense, fellas? I mean, we've we've talked all about the offense. Oh, so you far. want lingo? You <laughs> you want to learn some new <laughs> lingo? Because because Coach Twitter has been all a flutter about our coverages. So Michigan all year they've been playing with a light box so they can leave two guys back, and we were annoyed little annoyed over the course of the season. We knew what they were doing. We're like, okay, are they really worried about Penn State throwing the ball over their heads? No. They're practicing for Ohio State, right? Like, they did this all year. And now we got to see what they were actually planning to do, which is they have all these um, coverages where you steal a safety from the other side. And sometimes you have Samer still popping out as a safety and Rod Moore comes down. It's kind of like an Aztec or like a robber guy. So they had pieces all over their secondary moving around. And it made it really hard for McCord to figure out what he was looking at. Because you get a pre-snap read, you go to look at what you got, You don't. that guy's not open. He's double covered. You look at your next read. And Ohio State fans now are going on, the, the fans, not the coach people, right? The fans are going and saying, like, hey, look, how come you're not throwing to this guy who's wide open right here? You know, they take snapshots and like, how come this guy wasn't thrown to? He was the guy who was open. That's not how quarterbacks do it. They read, they go through their read. I, I, there's my one read, two read, three read. Michigan was taking away... They anticipated what the what Ohio State's plan was going to be, and they took away his first, second, third reads, and then McCord's kind of in trouble. Now, he did a great job, I thought, of still being able to throw the ball or just seeing where he had some leverage. And then oh, Ryan Day, there's a few times where you see like him, where they get their signs in. You can see why these guys care so much about signs, because they, they made some audibles when they saw something, and they were using motion to kind of tell them what Michigan's coverage was going to be, and after they'd seen a few coverages, they guessed right a couple times. Um, I think originally Brian and I thought that uh, Wallace needed to like come cut off that second, uh, the last touchdown for Ohio State, and then... I was reading Coach Twitter, and like they showed that, okay, this is the same exact coverage that Barrett almost had the interception on. And they're like, okay, well, if you're going to have a linebacker crossing underneath there, that makes sense if you don't think that's the pre-snap read, but that was the read. I still think that Wallace is supposed to come down faster than he did. Yeah, but, yeah. It, was, that one was yeah it was on Colson. He, he, yeah. he just, you know, it's, and it can happen. I mean, he just... Uh, didn't didn't get on him soon enough. He he dropped back. In the I coverage. I am not giving Colson a negative for not being able to keep up with Marvin Harrison. That there is no linebacker who's going to keep up with Marvin Harrison. He's going to go to the NFL, and there's no linebackers there either. You <laughs> might be right. You you might be right. You probably are right. But we know that, and this is not a criticism. I mean, Marvin Harrison's a great player, but certainly didn't help himself with with dropping in the coverage. He had to get him right now to even have a chance. Mm-hmm. And even having a chance, maybe he still he probably still doesn't get him. To your point, so and you have to give Marvin here. I think one of you mentioned this Marvin Harrison credit about saying, "I never saw any coverage like this." Not just the quality of coverage, but but the style of coverage that Minner and the Michigan defense threw at threw at him. And so I give him a, a major shout out for being honest about that and saying, hey, it was confusing. And Are we sure he wasn't just explaining why he didn't have more yards? 
<laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. No, but... I, think, I think it's fair to give him. I mean, you have to give him credit for how he played. <laughs> I know he's, he's just a fantastic receiver. He had, um, I mean, Will Johnson had an opportunity to actually come and make up, uh, make up the ground and make that play. And Harrison is running like the ball is going to go over his head. And that convinces, you know, Johnson to tackle him because he's, he thinks he's going to have to save a touchdown right there. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, man. Uh, Will Johnson, uh, I, the whole secondary for that matter. I mean, you think about Will Johnson going out and they didn't fall apart. I mean, <laughs> Mikey all season long, I think he's the defensive MVP. He's he's played uh, nickel and corner. He's blitzed and been outstanding in coverage. He's made big tackles like the big stick, the big hit he put on Trevion Henderson. I mean, that dude has just been money they've had guys at every level of this defense really really step up and this game was no exception oh absolutely i mean there's a bunch of of defensive mvps really i mean (laughs) barrett came to michigan as a not super highly uh, recruited guy guy with no position and who's a better linebacker in the big 10 this year i agree i mean yeah, and and you know. Well, so. he doesn't have the counting stats, right? He's got forty-five tackles. Yeah. Because Michigan doesn't play fourth quarters, and Michigan rotates a lot, so. And there's a lot of always, three and outs. You're always going to get caught up with counting stat issues, especially with linebackers, because they have so many tackles. So, but you know, he's the highest graded linebacker in the Big Ten, according to Pro, pro Football Focus. Uh-huh. I don't think we're too far off that in our grading either. So. Yeah, you know, no, I'm I'm right there. I mean, he's definitely been the best graded linebacker since I've been doing the grading, uh, which is, goes back to 2020. Um, so there's been, um, I I just I you saw the Big Ten awards come out, and he was third team to the coaches, and I don't know if he was even on the media. <laughs> and, and and Tommy Eichenberg is his first team, and it's yeah, like that's a joke. I'm like, did you watch this game? Because where was Michigan getting their yards, right? They they got the tight end against Tommy Eichenberg and they're like okay here we go, right that was that was the leak that was the problem in Ohio State's defense that was the soft spot that they were able to attack and te- and other uh, offenses have been attacking all year and I mean I, I understand linebackers are very hard position to judge and why they fall back in counting stats but the coaches come on you guys you guys all game planned to attack this guy now you're going to say that he's the the MVP like give. Barrett, Barrett deserves some credit. Like the way he picked up that route and plays that tight end, he was looking for that interception. He was, you know, he he baits him into that throw, so, and he's trying to get the interception, just like Will Johnson baited the the other interception. I don't think he baited because he's like safeties can bait guys, right? <laughs> like I think Rod Moore was baiting uh, McCord on the last throw, and if he didn't get hit, he I think he's still picking it off. <laughs> but you can't bait a guy when you're in just carrying well, he out was, of the seat. That was one of he those weird coverages where he was dropping. Step. Well, yeah, you know, so, I mean, so it's, like, he's, it's Tampa, so he's going yeah. right up the field. So you know, I thought he was excellent most of this game because they were trying to hit Trayvon Henderson on a bunch of wheel routes, and those never happened. And it was almost always Barrett over the top. So that's uh, that's an impressive coverage outing against one of the fastest guys in the country. Mm-hmm. So... Go ahead. Before we get to a break, I want to seize on one more point that you made, Brian, just kind of looking ahead as as best we can, given how much movement there is uh, with the portal and jump into the draft. But you said this was a a high sort of talent year for Ohio State. Uh, Like this was this was a year where you got to realize that big time class. You got to realize some success this year. So if you could kind of project as best you all you guys kind of project as best you can. Yeah. The rivalry has turned, but how are we looking at, at next year, given what looks to be some, some mass departures from this core group of Buckeyes? Well, I mean, a lot of it is going to be NFL draft decisions. Like does Sawyer stay? Does McCarthy stay? Uh, Does Ohio state go try to get someone in the portal at quarterback? seems like the answer to that is no. Um, does Travion Henderson stay? Probably not, but it's possible. Um, does Fleming come back for a COVID year? So there's just so many roster questions that are still floating out there um, that I think it's going to be hard to tell. But of late, the OSU is the pro program that sends people to the pros. So they don't hold guys for those same or still years for the quorum year that we just had. And Michigan has historically, and I wouldn't be surprised to see JJ come back. So 
you know, I think if you get JJ back and if you get sort of the expected number of Ohio State departures, you know, I think that's that might be a pick em next year at Ohio State. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, look at what happened to Michigan this year in the transfer portal. I mean, we, I think at least eight guys played major roles. I think maybe they brought in eight or nine guys in the transfer portal. And I think mostly they all had significant roles. So it's, it's, it's really hard. Uh, it's really hard to say what it's going to look like until, yeah. until the dust begins to settle. Well, Josiah Ladarius Stewart had, had, a, had a great game, by the way. Yeah, yeah, Ladarius he did. Henderson didn't even play the first three games very much, and he was still first-team All-Big Ten to the coaches, mm-hmm. which, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> says something about something, right? Jeez. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. All there's, right. There's, let's get there's the defense ahead. next year. You want to answer the question. Michigan's core defense next year is really, really strong. Should be good. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> let's see what they do in the, in the – all these teams, let's see what they do yeah. in the portal. I mean – Man, a uh, few fortifications, and that defense could be. Ooh. We got to get to a break. We come back on the other side. We'll look ahead not only to the Big Ten championship game, but beyond. Who don't you want to see? And if I understand you're going to see a good team, or a great team even, but who is the, the team that you feel like is the biggest threat? That's the best question. The biggest threat to Michigan winning it all. We'll get to that on the other side here. Imco Blog Roundtable on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket. Clear on the radio. So, Sam, you said something, um, I think maybe with Borges, about Michigan going into the portal that got everyone on your message board in a tizzy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, there are some guys, there are some guys that um, are saying they're going to go into the portal that I know. And, you know, they, they Got to see them actually do it, but if if they go in the portal, Michigan absolutely is going to be uh, in play. So, you know, we got to see uh, from they, their perspective. Do they have interest in McCulley? Because I have interest in McCulley. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the guys that I know, Ira mentioned one this morning. This is not the guy that I was talking about. There's one guy we reported on was the Harvard dude. He's one. Um, and then Dion Burks is another, but those are neither of those are the guys I was talking about. Who Dion Burks? Where is he? Where he's a know. Purdue guy. He, like I, I mean, Burks he, seems mm-hmm. fine, but he's also five eleven. So I'm like, I want the six five guy because Michigan's going to probably have a lot of um, Samage stuff in the offense next year, and he seems a little redundant. Yeah, yeah. you, you, you. <laughs> You know, you got Darius. Who else is in there? Is Darius the only only guy with height left? But Dion Burks would definitely definitely be in the mix. I, I checked into the whole Tobias Merriweather thing, and there's just nothing nothing with Tobias Merriweather. He fits that fits that high profile that you're talking about. But I guess the the, the point that kind of rings home to me is they aren't going to be taking going after guys that are not like proven commodities. At least to a, at least to a reasonable extent in their current spots, like Tobias Merriweather would be a project for all yeah. its purposes, and they aren't going to take project guys. Michigan so. State fans were worked up that Sam Levitt might come here. I thought they, you know, so I, I don't think that they're in a position. I don't see what you know. It's, it's kind of they're in an interesting place right now because what do you say to a quarterback prospect like? They don't know if JJ's right. Can, yeah. mm-hmm. They can't tell a, a quarterback in the portal that JJ's leaving because they don't know that. No one knows what JJ's going to do right now. So, well, he hasn't he hasn't determined that yet. Okay. And put it this way. He, if he's determined it, he hasn't shared it with anyone. Mm. Of that, I'm confident. We just had we just had his dad on this morning. Uh, he's. He could come back. You, you're right, Brian, when you said that. He could come back. Like That's a legit possibility. I wouldn't call it the likeliest outcome, but I think it's a distinct possibility. And so in that place, man, um, it's really, really hard, even if you were going to be in play for Riley Leonard, right? Even if you're going to be in play, it's really hard to lure a guy like that when you can't tell him for sure. You know what? Number nine is going to the league. So they're in an interesting spot right now. Yeah. 
it looks like uh, JJ, if he does come out, will go in the first upper half of the first round. Uh, how high in that upper half? It seems a matter of dispute, but well, Dane Brugler just came out with a, mm-hmm. a mock draft that had him twenty second. Okay, Jaden Daniels is kind of flying up the board right now for understanding. Standby, board. guys, coming back on radio in about ten seconds. <laughs> All right. I hate to say this, but if I'm a quarterback, I'd love to go 22nd. That means you're going to a good team. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. They're not going to throw you out there. And so, fellas, back in the Big Ten championship game, facing Iowa once again. Still a stalwart defense, but minus their best player. So, Brian, handicap this game, this Big Ten championship matchup. With the Hawkeyes, again, what do you see on the horizon for the Wolverines? I think Vegas has it even money whether Iowa will score in the first half. (laughs) So, I mean, just get out there and run your stuff and win the game. It's not like this Iowa team is considerably worse offensively than the Iowa team Michigan played two years ago. And that team wasn't going anywhere against Michigan's defense. So, Deacon Hill usually puts up stat lines like 11 for 28 for 94 yards. Eric All hasn't played in six weeks and is still Iowa's leading receiver. Um, they, This is just not a team that is going to move the ball against Michigan. So, you know, run the ball, take some deep shots, you know, and eventually the, the dam will crack. I mean, you don't want to get into a punt off with Tory Taylor, but given what we saw from Tommy Doman last year, I don't even know if they have a field position advantage when it comes to to uh, special teams. So that's a 22-point spread, and that feels about right. Yeah, I ran my net yards per pass attempt alg- algorithm last night, and I come up with 21 points, so it's very close. The, the, the Iowa defense is real. Uh, that that's a really really good defense with or without their their star corner. Uh, Michigan's going to have a hard time moving the ball against them. I don't think they can uh, be one dimensional against against Iowa. I think they're going to have to, you know, r- hopefully run some play action and do some things. But um, but Iowa's a good defense. But the offense is inert. Uh, they probably have the if not the worst passing game in the Big Ten, pretty close to it. Uh, it's worse? awful. <laughs> Who's worse than I? I, I, I don't know. I didn't track them all, but when I looked at it, I said, this is dreadful. I've never I, seen it. They probably are the worst now just because everyone yeah. else changed their quarterbacks from what, from, from what yeah. they were going through. Yeah. I mean, there's something in the range of like 4.3 yards per pass attempt when, when adjusted for sacks. I mean, I never saw a number that low. Uh, so... Yeah, this is a game Michigan should win, uh, but you know it isn't going to be a walk because Parker's a very good from my hometown. Yeah. Incidentally, he's a very good uh, uh, defensive coordinator, and they do have some guys who know what they're doing on defense. So they're um, so the way that Iowa won their games this year is they just chew away time. And they get into these punts offs where like anything is going to happen, and then at the last moment they get like a punt return or something like that, and they yeah. they win on those margins. So I was very surprised they were not uh, like at the tops of some of the luckiest teams uh, just in the year. I think that they have lost some fumbles or something like that is the only reason they're not. But like the way they play is they just they let chance solve the problem that they have, which is they just have no absolutely no offense. Now, their defense has gotten better than the last defense we faced. I don't know if we can just shove them down the field because their tackles used to be kind of weak, and they've really kind of shored those guys up a little bit. Uh, um, and their linebackers are a lot faster. I know <laughs> Campbell accepted, but like they used to have these like you know slow gumps in there, and I think Nick Jackson and Jay Higgins have been pretty athletic this year. So you guys aren't worried about Cade, Gay said, I'm gonna give them all everything I got, all the all the plays and all the things, personnel things. I know he said he's gonna give them. This is is a game where you could probably hold up Michigan's play call every play and still win. (laughs) Well, that's what we did with Ohio State, you know, two couple years ago. It didn't seem to matter. So it's disappointing that Cade is so salty about the fact that he's not as good a quarterback as JJ McCarthy, and everybody knows it. Like, bro. Come on. 
how delusional do you have to be to feel like slighted or like you were treated unfairly? You got a shot. You blew it. Well, I don't know how much Cade blew it. I mean, we got, you know, a pretty good Cade, year out of Cade. Cade blew it. No. Like, they, when they JJ put in the, was just a better quarterback. Oh, but and, he also, and, Cade choked in the in his start. Yeah. He, that was one of his worst games ever against like Hawaii or whatever. Yeah. Like, and, and I, like, I just, it just sits unwell with me that he's like bitter. Like, bro, it's, it's just accept the fact that you're, you were competing with a guy who's going to go in the first round and you're not. He could do so well for himself by not being bitter too. Like, you know, yeah, I, I, I loved my time there and you know, like I, I, there couldn't be two quarterbacks and I, I respect JJ. He, he could back be so like, I'm the one who beat Ohio state the first time. Everybody's like, we still love you, but he's just gotta be salty. It's just yeah. like, bro. Yeah. It's not, it's not helping anybody. Speaking, speaking okay. of salty, do, do you, I mean, uh, Gus Johnson took a lot of, of garbage or crap. I thought for saying for keep, he said this several times calling, uh, Ohio state, uh, the world famous Ohio state university. I think he was trolling Ohio state. Now, I Ira mean, has talked about no, this before. No, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. I didn't know the history. There, there's a history. It's it's based in a history with Jesse Owens. There's a there's a history behind it. It's actually yeah, but but Owens. nobody knows that. Nobody nobody he, says. He actually explained it on the air a couple mm. times so that we would know it. It's uh, he probably well, should go, but that's why he does it. The world famous Harvard University. Nobody says that. You say Harvard when you're saying the world famous Ohio State University. You're saying, hey, you guys are nothing. I mean, it's like a golf course my brother and I used to play on. Let me call it Stumpy Acres or Stumpy Forest. And uh, it was such a flat bad, was next to a junkyard. And and uh, we started calling it the Stumpy to sort of, you know, bump it up and make it make it sound a little better. And I think that's what I think. I don't care what he said about about uh, Jesse. He's just trolling him, <laughs> my opinion. I don't know. Uh, I got into a debate about this with, with Devin, so I don't want to take up any more time. Oh, you time. did? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have my 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 thoughts on the on the uh, on the broadcast last year. I didn't listen to it as much this year, but uh-huh. I heard him start out the broadcast talking about, yeah, uh, you know, Ohio State lost the last two years, uh, but the word is it 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 may have come against the stack deck. Oh yeah, it, right I was like, oh come on, man. Well, if you're gonna present that position. Yeah, and Ohio State had Michigan signs and gave them to Purdue. Allegedly, did they do it right? Just present yeah. both sides if you're going to do that. That's that's no. a pretty pretty good invitation. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't want to spend any more time on yeah. that. They I were do playing against know. a stacked deck because Michigan had better players, and Ohio State had to come back <laughs> against Michigan. Had Aiden Hutchinson. That's a stacked deck, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. So let's assume that things go like we think they're going to go. Michigan wins its third consecutive Big Ten championship uh, crown, and they go to the playoff probably as the two seed. You guys think – let's go through it. Georgia-Bama, who you got? Georgia. Uh, Yeah, Georgia. Yeah, so Georgia will be the one seed. That will make Michigan the two seed. Who is the biggest threat? Let's go in reverse order because we didn't get you in the last time, Seth. Who is the biggest threat? to Michigan in the field of winning a national championship, who would you say, man, that's the team that kind of scares me the most? Themselves. Run some play action. You guys will be fine. Yeah. But there has not, to be a team. No, <laughs> no, no. Georgia's a great team. They're all great teams. You go to the playoffs, you're going to play great teams. TCU is a great right. team last year, too. You go to the playoffs, you're going to get great teams. There's not right. enough of a difference between the great teams this year. It's not I don't think I'm not looking out there and seeing any teams other than Michigan who just look stacked at almost every single position. Michigan's got like a cornerback spot that's a little weak. Right. But like I don't see anyone who is just a juggernaut like I I don't. Oregon maybe like the way they've been playing lately, they've been looking really good, but the the different the margins are too marginal. I think that you're going to see four great teams in the playoffs. Craig Ross? Uh, I think Oregon, I mean, is is the biggest problem. That offense is really, really good. I think they'll beat Washington. Washington's defense is a mess, and their offense is good, but only good in my opinion. I think Oregon's the 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 biggest threat because that that team has it going on offense, and they have good offensive coaching. I think they're a problem for Michigan. Michigan can win the game, but if they play Oregon, but Oregon is is tough. Brian, that's definitely Oregon, okay. and 
the issue with what Seth was saying about how there's going to be four really good teams in the playoff is that Florida State no longer has its quarterback. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know like if they'll the, win the ACC without the desired that. outcome of these championship games is that Florida State wins and Georgia wins mm-hmm. because then Michigan is going to draw Florida State in the three spot because they're not going to put they are not going to consider injuries when they seed things and you got two undefeated power five conference champions and then whoever else is going to have a loss. So I, I think that's your ideal situation unless you think that Bama winning and Texas winning knocks the SEC out, which I think it should. <laughs> but will it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you yeah, got to put Texas in at that point. Yeah. And you can't leave Florida State out if they win. You just can't. Yeah. it's You can't do it. So then you got Michigan, Texas, um, Florida State. And are you really going to put Bama in over the Pac-12 champ? No, they 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 will not. They will not do that. Now, I could see I could see them putting um, Florida State in at number four. No, they can't do that. Uh, yes, they be an of undefeated. course they can, and they probably would. All right, but you spent the last month swearing up and down that Michigan's <laughs> going to get screwed by the officials <laughs> over the last three games of the season, and did that happen? No, not really. No. I, I agree. They really didn't. I mean, in the main. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I put this to on all the shows I do. I put this uh, to them, and and so Vance was adamant that it's it's Oregon. Oregon is the is the scariest team. The way they play, and he said, you know, there, Will Stein, the offensive coordinator there at Oregon, was with them at, at Louisville. He said, man, he runs a lot of West Coast concepts, and he said that. That to me, when you look at this defense and where where they've been, he said, you know, you kind of saw last year with Purdue in the Big Ten championship game. Like, you know, they you don't expect Purdue to be able to move the ball any, right? West Coast, West Coast concepts. And he said he sees that as a, a spot to be something. Michigan can beat them, obviously, but who gives them the most problems? He thinks it's Oregon. Yeah, he thinks yeah it's Oregon. I agree. Oh. At any rate, fellas. Who who's going to Indy? Who's uh, uh, among you? Who's going to Indy? I'm going. I'm going. Yep. All right. All right. Well, we'll see you in Indy, folks. See you at the Slippery Noodle four until seven. We'll be doing the keypad countdown to kickoff. Hope to see you over there. Thanks for joining another edition of the MGO Blog Roundtable. We'll see you tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK the Ticket, the official voice of the University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor Accumulus Station.